If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Distinctly left wing uh, phrase there. Anti fascist black metal, mate. Anti fascist black metal, mate. Anti fascist black metal. It's fucking 2019, isn't it? <laughs> God, how did they do that for so fucking long? I have no idea. <laughs> Satan. It is Satan. The Eternal Eternal Satan. Channel Satan. The power of Eternal Satan compels you. You've got a good voice when you go low. Yeah, you've got, got a good black metal, metal for him, man. You should, you've got a good a rumble. <laughs> should be doing some Nick Cave. There you go, girls. Listening pants, if you So this is uh, part two of the black metal mixtape, uh, part one. I'm just thinking I'm going to go home and listen to the Mark speaking like that. I would love that. <laughs> sitting, on, sitting on the speaker. Whoa. Do some ASMR on, shit. Mark. Do a subwoofer. <laughs> go on, Mark, tell me more about fucking pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last week we got holier than thou on you uh, to... Reinforce our left-wing liberal laddie credentials. Uh, disclaimer, uh, disclaimer episode. Yeah, <laughs> we don't we don't agree with any of this. We are purely in it for the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, we were trying to. Yeah, I don't know caveats all round, but um, we hope you got through last week. Th- hope it was informative and enjoyable. We tried to not make it too much of a dirge. Uh, I've also just opened up my. Uh, Dave Grohl Nexus um, Laptop's hard to melt He's crashed (laughs) This is the most tabs I've ever had open actually So I hope you guys are excited by that So 
three records then guys uh okay so uh we have finally got to the point where we were to- we have each taken a black metal record yes we and have we're put it forward to the public vote and you will choose one of them so to I think, go into the discography I think what we should do is just put our cards on the table and then shift to a Nexus very quickly yeah let's do the Nexus to break it up a little because my Nexus is fucking amazing really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's let's say yeah let's do the records first let's say the records see who the records are yeah so I'll go first uh, chronologically speaking uh, I'm going for the 2001 record Thorns by Thorns So I'm going for a Ooh. true black metal true cult, yeah. artist. He's one of the original members of the Inner Circle. Uh, he's uh, a naughty boy. He's a naughty he's a, boy. He's a very naughty he's, boy. He's legit, Christopher. He's legit. He's he's but, but he's also got an excuse. So that's truly ideal. <laughs> um, he was dropped in his head. So, yeah, that's my record that I'll be putting forward, uh, Mark. Oh no, Chris. Right, chronologically, uh, of course. Right, so it, it, yeah, it took me a little bit of like try to choose, but after don't try and justify the fact. Just say, just album. I was close to going for Menace Ruins, that Canadian band, but uh, I w- I've gone for Taka. T-A-A-K-E and the also two- True Black Metal uh, I mean a lot of yeah later, I mean but- 1993 Bergen mm-hmm. True Black Metal like the legit um, and the album Norig's Vapen which uh, is Norway's Weapon Thanks for 2011 I didn't look that up but Norway's Weapon and he is a bit of a weapon and <laughs> he's from <laughs> he's- <laughs> it's from 2011 uh, fucking rules and I, Mark I went for a a not black metal record <laughs> <laughs> oh just say it wait for Sunbather by Deafening oh! You know, there had to be a point where we're going to do but it. But we had to <laughs> come at it from the completely different perspective, yeah. from the American hipster oh side God. off the fuck man, perspective. I, I felt so I vindicated when Mark told us this. I was like, ah, that's great, Mark. I listened to it right after the Taka record, and it's not out of place, man. It's really not. And we'll discuss it later. Just, uh, but first, let's really just do not. our. I'm really happy that we've got we've got like early true black metal. We've got medium true black medium. metal, and then we've got hipster black metal. Yeah, I'm just delighted that Mark didn't waste any of his week trying to think of an album and just went from the most. No, I, I, I would because it's one of the records I would have chosen if not what I've chosen. I know. So I, I, I was just, just trying to listen to a lot of stuff, but you know, this is the one that got me into the Kenner Krusty stuff as well. But we'll talk about that anyway. So. um the Nexus. Oh, I wish we had a black metal Nexus. Ah, oh, Fritz, where are you when we need you? I know. Um, but we'll, 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 a bit of light relief will do us no harm. So, uh, Fritz. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Grohl Nexus. Need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. For playing in the It's the 
David, you went first, so I, start? I think you should go first because you are clearly brimming are with pride. Are you prepared? Uh, so, Thorns 2001, uh, it was produced by Mike Hartung, uh, who's quite a well known uh, Scandinavian Big engineer, Mike. producer. He's done a lot of work. Um, He's done a lot of work with like <laughs> He's just done a lot of work Stuff <laughs> uh, One of the artists he worked with okay, a long school. time ago Was uh, a Mr. Dweezil Zappa oh, wow. Son wow. of Frank uh, One of the two touring Tours of Frank Zappa music Not Minion The it. legit one no. uh, You know that so, he's got a child called Minion Yeah Yep uh, Dweezil Zappa of course uh, a talented musician though he is uh, will be remembered for appearing in uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Running Man I knew you were going to say that <laughs> oh yeah I didn't know this uh, do you know who else yeah, that he was uh, Stevie don't touch that dial um, and do you know who else is in it Mick Fleetwood I work fuck off <laughs> obviously that's going to be my next connection <laughs> isn't it is it oh. you're peeking all over the place mate you're <laughs> getting too excited sake, I know so also in The Running Man <laughs> Was uh, a Mr. <laughs> Mick Fleetwood from Really? I've never heard that yeah. <laughs> um, What was the fuck was he in the running man? He was the leader of the resistance Yeah he was like the old leader yeah. He was called <laughs> Mick mm-hmm. Oh wow <laughs> I, can, I can totally picture him as well uh, So Mick Fleetwood Why the um, fuck was that? Why? He's done, a few, he's done quite Just a lot Just because it was the Mike 80s Mike Mike who, directed, who directed that film? Uh, was it Joe McTiernan? No it no. wasn't It was Wasn't Schumacher? Um, no. Is it Paul uh, Paul no? Glaser. Okay, so, oh. Ah, okay. So, um, uh, anyway, so, er, you know, Mick Fleetwood, obviously, Fleetwood Mac, blah, 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 yep. loads of connections. Uh, I'm going to go with an early sort of London connection. He joined a new band uh, called the Peter Bees. Uh, oh. Crap name. Yeah, with Peter Bardens, a keyboard player, uh, and soon expanded that band to become Shotgun Express. Crap name. Which included a certain Rod Stewart. Good name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Rod Stewart, um, I mean... Ah, uh, I mean... Where do you go from Rod Stewart? The only good immigrant is Rod Stewart, as Barney <laughs> Gumbel once said. So Rod Stewart, uh, a famous supporter of Glasgow Celtic Football Club. Hail, hail. Uh, even though uh, his father was a Hibernian supporter. Uh, Glasgow Celtic Football Club, um, I don't know if you know, uh, employed the first ever black player to play in Scotland. Did mm. you know that? Uh, Paul Elliott? No, his name was Gil Heron. And he was the father of Gil Scott, Scott Heron. fucking Heron. That's wild. That's fucking uh, nice. So Gil St. That, Elmo This is Heron. a good nexus. Uh, was born in Jamaica and then St. Elmo uh, Heron yeah came over in the 50s uh, he played for Chicago and then came over in the 50s played for Celtic and then the now defunct third Lanark uh, and he was the fir- first black person to play football for a Scottish team but more importantly his middle name was St. Elmo St. Elmo can I just say third Lanark are not defunct 
Are they not? Do they no, still they exist? Are, they are, they're an amateur team, and I made a joke about them on Twitter once, and they actually tweeted me back. Dave, brace yourself. It's uh, going to be all true cult and third lanark. <laughs> so, uh, Gil Scott Heron, obviously Mr. Heron's most famous offspring. Uh, Gil Scott Heron. What was his middle name? Uh, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, of course. Uh, an American soul and jazz poet, incredible writer. Had a lot of sort of issues with his personal life towards the end of his life. Uh, my pal Alex actually, it turned out that he went to see him in Aberdeen in 2010. Saw him in fucking Moshulu or something like that. Fuck. <laughs> or maybe it was like 2005. I don't know, but it was like fuck. I didn't realize somebody of my age or younger could have seen Gil Scott Heron. That's amazing. Uh, but anyway, Gil Scott Heron um, famously sampled by uh, Kanye West in Who Will Survive in America uh, on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Well, sampled by whoever did the sampling for well, Kanye yeah, West before he stole it. Uh, My Beautiful Dark uh, Twisted Fantasy is probably Kanye West's best record and released on Def Jam. Uh, Def Jam, of course, is the record label that was uh, put together and founded by Russell Simmons and a Mr. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, where did I go from there? How did oh, I get to so Dave many. Grohl? Uh, Rick Rubin was credited as producer on Mr. Hanky, The Christmas Pooh really? <laughs> from the South Park uh, television program and soundtrack. Wow. Now, in the South Park movie, George Clooney played the, the doctor. Dog. He, no, he was the doctor that replaced uh, Kenny's heart with a baked potato. Oh, really? He uh, played the dog in the original season. But he series. also played the dog in the original se- uh, season, uh, but he didn't actually say anything, I don't think. But with. he actually had a speaking part in the movie where he did the baked potato. Uh, George Clooney, uh, I think what you'll see here, uh, as I then finish no. off, is Dave Grohl appearing with P. Diddy, at George Clooney's Casamigos Halloween party in Beverly Hills dressed as Alice Cooper uh, uh, so that's disgusting there you are I finish on it's a Dave a Grohl fucking wank fest Ellie Hollywood motherfucker a fucking Kurt Cobain hitting 20,000 hertz right now in his grave uh, but that was uh, that was my pretty solid that was uh, a good one the, the, the running man thing was enough and then you hit us with the Gil Scott Heron thing that was amazing and then Mr Hankey and the Christmas poo yeah well alright Christopher uh, okay uh, I, I, mine turned out pretty good as well Taka or the guy Taka is host uh, features uh, a musician called Attila Xihar yep Attila Xihar who was the vocalist in Mayhem on Demosteris Dos Satanas uh huh and Mayhem featured Hellhammer mm-hmm. on the old drums. And murder. And uh, pro murder. Endorsing the murder of gay men. Um, Hellhammer uh, played on the album Inception by an American band called Eyes of Noctum. Do you know this band, David? Uh, no, not really. Eyes of Noctum uh, features a Mr. Weston Cage, son of mm. Nicholas. Oh. Hello. Wow. Here we oh, go. Hello there. Uh, so, Weston Cage 
son of Nicholas, Nicholas Cage, aka Nicholas Kim Coppola. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Kim Coppola is the nephew of a Mr. Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola mm-hmm. directed the old Dracula. Mm-hmm. Dracula featured a Mr. Vampires. Mr. Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> just got excited because I mean you could have just gone. Varg Vakanis was a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Dracula featured the old Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves was a member of the band Dogstar. Yep. Pretty solid. The band Dogstar toured supporting David Bowie in 1994. Gosh. Wow. David Bowie played his first ever US show in 1972 in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Also in Ohio was the birthplace of Mr. Dave Grohl, the town of Warren, Ohio, in which there is a street called Dave Grohl Alley. Goodness. I give you the floor, Mark. Well, there you are. Well done. Well done. Uh, mine's is not as interesting as you guys. Um, <laughs> we got this back to front. But uh, yeah, so uh, all of Death Heaven's records has been have been um, engineered, Crap. produced Sorry. by a guy called Jack Shirley. He also produced a record by a band called uh, Broadway Calls. Broadway Calls. Yeah, Broadway Calls. This is Bloodway Calls. <laughs> and Broadway Calls are a punk band on Side One Dummy Records. Uh, they're Second album, Good Views, Bad News, was recorded by was recorded at the Blasting Room Studios in Colorado by Jason Livermore and of course Mr. Bill Stevenson, the man who played drums for Black Flag throughout the entirety of the A's. Black Flag's released records on SST Records, owned by Greg Ginn, the guitarist of Black Flag. And uh Soundgarden released some records on SST Records. Uh well at least one record on SST yeah, Records. Yeah. And yeah, that's how you get to Dave Grohl. Oh, that's it. Yeah, Good work. Fuck it. Do the rest yourself, guys. Yeah, you well, I, I mean, if you want me to go down the most obvious route, it would be that uh, Dave Grohl recently played at the Chris Cornell tribute show. Well, you know, like weeks ago. So hey, that's that's the good link. That's yeah. a good link. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, you know, bit of an anticlimax, but <laughs> you know, what, you what, to, what do you expect? What did you have to work with, with Dave? Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, a little bit more threats. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Okay, so are we doing chronological order? Yeah, again? just do it, yeah. In, do it in the same order. Uh, so yeah, so Thorns is the s- the project of uh, Mr. Snora Ruck. He was there, guys. Snorri. He was Snorri, there. The little fucking dwarf. So Snorri, Snorri was the man who drove Varg to the flat of Oystenarseth, Euronymous, and he stayed in the car for a little bit, and then he, he waited, and then came back out and drove him home. No, apparently Snorri ran out the house when things kicked off and got really upset, mm. and then he drove Varg back. So he was imprisoned. <laughs> he was uh, he was put in the jail for uh, accessory for murder. Yeah. He maintains his innocence. Mm-hmm. Says he just gave his pal a lift. So he was an original member of the whole crew. He was 
part of Mayhem. Was he in Mayhem or was he just a hanging on? Wrote, there were riffs that he wrote that got used by Mayhem. Um, some of the, a couple of them are on uh, Dubs Tennis, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, he in the early 90s, he had a demo that he passed around basically all these guys that was highly yeah, influential. Yeah. Um, I heard about this. Grimework. Um, and it was basically just guitar and bass. There was no drums or anything. You listen to it now, and you can you can hear bands that have like taken little parts of it, and then you can you can hear you know his progression as well. And I think he was just extremely influential in terms of sound and aesthetic for the for the whole black metal scene. He even on that first record, which is just home recorded, no drums. There's like synthy sort of effects layers on there that are way more progressive than anything else that was happening at the time. Gives it a sort of really eerie sort of sound. And then riffs that would then come to sort of define the, the whole Yeah, it's uh, interesting genre. how much they informed each other. There yeah. was like, you know, I really detest that scene at that time, but oh my goodness, it's really interesting how much cross-pollination there was between all the different people. Like, mm. people, like, people, like, you write lyrics for us, oh, here's a riff, yeah, you can have that riff. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of collaboration between the people within that scene. Uh, he then had Trontertrum, which is a slightly more polished EP uh, demo, which had drums and stuff under on what it. Na- uh, what name was that under, though? So this was all under Thorns. Uh, he calls himself Blackthorn in Thorns, right? Yeah, Is or that, he did originally. Yeah. But I mean, it's always sort of been his project. I think originally your man Faust was the drummer in, you know, for a year in 1991. Yeah. But then I think they were all just members of each other's bands, basically. I'm pretty sure Faust has written lyrics to some of their songs post The early murder. stuff. Yeah. No, oh, I think, well, I think not was, on this record. They've I'm, only, Thorns have only got one record, uh, which is the one I'm going to talk about. But you can hear on Toronto Trum that there's sort of clean guitars in there as well but the use of dynamics is totally fucking evil basically and you can hear that he's the same writer that 10 years later would come back with a fully produced record uh, and anyway he went to jail um, came out and he'd sort of been the, the one that never produced a record and then in 2001 he came back and he worked with the black uh, metal sheep of the family yes we worked with satire from satiricon and he worked with uh, hellhammer and this album came out in 2001 is it hellhammer that plays drums in this yeah yeah, yeah. so it came out the same year as a few big black metal albums we talked about demu borgir puritanical euphoric misanthropia came out as same time as Codex Necro by Anath Nathrak came out as same time as Prometheus by Emperor which was given 5Ks and Kerrang album of the week it was Terrorizer album of the month Pitchfork gave it this sort of post thing but um, Thorns in 2001 uh, it, actually, it came second in the Terrorizer albums of the year poll uh, that was ahead of Lateralis of Opeth Neurosis and only just behind Jane Doe um, but it's sort of forgotten about. It's just this weird standalone record. It's the only thing he's ever 
released apart from a split he did with Emperor a couple of years earlier. Isn't it kind of sad, man, that these people had so much fucking talent and they were such dickheads? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's another interesting and weird part of the well, whole it, thing. As good as that album is, and like from what I've listened to, it's not a lot, not enough, but there must be so many people that, as I said, like guys even like, like Kurt who are like, I mean, he would probably really fucking like that, but it's, it's, it's just, it's... Yeah, you have the, to take it with a massive... Off the table, because for some people, and I totally understand it, they're like, I'm not willing to make that distinction mm. between the artist and the art. It's, it's, I mean, I, for, I first I heard this album and I had no idea about any of the background yeah. of any of the musicians. I just, I read the review in Terrorizer and I was like, well, that sounds fucking great, I'll I'm get just, it. And I don't I'm, think there's a right answer. I'm starting to appreciate yeah. that different people, some people can, some people can't make that distinction. But think how much bigger this guy's audience would be if he wasn't such a fucking awful person. Yeah, exactly. And therefore he had that, he was judged on his merits, but he's a dickhead. And so many of these people, as we said about Varg, he's so fucking talented. Mm. What a waste. Um, so this, I just find this album is really fucking interesting because it sounds like a guy that's been away from the scene for 10 years in fucking jail, obviously. But, uh, well, it turns out the scene was probably in jail with him. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting album. It doesn't sound dated at all. It's really well produced. Um, it's progressive. It's, as we mentioned, it's sort of like got industrial influences it's quite sci-fi sounding as well quite sci-fi sounding yeah. yeah there's quite a lot of sort of futuristic influences on it a dystopian feeling yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. dystopian's a great word I've I yeah kind of like I it's times. like it's like if, it's like Evangelist did a, did a black metal record yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like it's a sort of like a Blade Runner goes black metal mm-hmm. the production's pretty um, key in it as well it was yeah absolutely it's really high crisp spec, sharp yeah clinical so it's like the opposite of that dark throne mayhem early like sort of fuzz sound well that's the thing so pure we spoke Mm -hmm. about him not doing anything for 10 years and then finally bringing this record out Mm -hmm. if he'd brought if he hadn't gone to jail if he'd brought it out earlier it might well have sounded a little shit yeah it might have done yeah yeah it might have you know been tied up with a yeah. lot of given genre what, tropes or whatever given what he was trying to do the technology to execute it maybe wasn't at his disposal mm. was that decade earlier you know because yeah, those synth sounds I don't, I don't want to keep going on about that but the synth sounds on this record don't sound like any other sounds any other black metal band uses at all on their records yeah absolutely you know? I think um, like on at the end of Underneath the Universe uh, 2 it's got like really Stanley Kubrick type vibes mm-hmm. uh, to it So like quickly go through it kicks in with a really brutal start the drums and snare are like so on point and you're like can I can I just check there, mm-hmm. there's two versions of this album is that right kind of yeah uh, well yeah the album that you can listen to on Spotify has two extra tracks right, to okay. the original one of them's version. pretty good though and yeah I only heard that yeah. like for the first time like a year or two ago when I heard it on Spotify I was like uh, yeah track nine. Uh, TSOS and it's actually fucking amazing yeah. I was like oh this should have been on the original yeah. record so, sorry to jump ahead it's just in case people are listening to a different record than we're yeah, just yeah that's fine I, I'll just quickly go through it but yeah a lot of people were really excited you know black metal purists or you know fans of the genre were like oh finally yeah, Snorri is releasing his record it's 10 years since we've heard anything from him Snorri the dwar- driving dwarf yeah. is releasing his album <laughs> uh, but you know he comes in straight away with existence and like this is a brutal start
Um, this is a heavy band. They've got that sort of, you know, thin tremolo black metal stuff. And then it stops and then it's actually a quote from The Matrix. Yeah. Oh, it comes in. There's two quotes from The Matrix in this song. And it goes, Jesus, what a mind job. Yeah. Um, that's so fucking Devin Townsend. I, I know. It's so, it's so early 2000s as well. Yeah. Like. <laughs> uh, but then, like, vocals come in, this sort of eerie synthy thing that's coming in, half beat, but pummeling double kick. It just sounds really different to a lot of black metal. It's like, stays within certain lines, but then in terms of time, in terms of uh, tempo, but then in terms of the overall sound, it totally fucks with things. It's got huge sort of triumphant riffs. There's a lot of fade outs and fade ins on this album. Yeah, it's weird when they do it. It's not something um, I was very I was expecting in a lot of yeah. these albums. Yeah, and I I don't know. I like that. It sort of like sort of fucks with your dynamic expectation. And then like track two, World Playground Deceit, is like a really sort of clinical but evil atonal machine gun riffing. And then something that a lot of black metal doesn't do, but they just he breaks down in a, a proper chug riff. Yeah, and you know how I fucking love a chug, Christopher. <laughs> fucking hell, man! The only I mean, the, the, the Proud Boys don't approve, but you do. Well, you know, that's my fuck you to the right wing. Yeah. Uh, Shifting channels, track three is really massive industrial riffs. sound of robotics it's got like some sort of sci-fi samples in there that's when you really sort of get that dystopian vibe can I ask objectively and excuse me for breaking your flow but Mm -hmm. how how good a drummer do you think Hillhammer is he seems very tight as fuck but I don't know how triggered he is yeah I think I think he's got one trick and that's just that's his trick playing the playing that blast beat is his trick yeah he can go very fast with his Mm arm and his legs yeah. <laughs> it, it's impressive but I haven't heard enough of his stuff to know what else he can do I th- that, yeah like, I I think I'd get bored of listening to him drum all the time but I think on certain albums it's fucking perfect there are some great sections of drumming on this record like in, in, yeah. in existence the first song of the drumming's fucking mental in it yeah yeah that's really, really good. the snare's so on point when yeah. that first track kicks I think in. a lot of those snares though at, like, at this point the production they were using a lot of triggered samples aye um, because some people have criticised it for just the snare hits are too similar there's like mm. too uniform there's like a, a, a it's get I mean I'd seen this criticism actually a lot of people were like oh you know they use when, whether they use drum machines or whether they use because some of the I think some of the Brazilian bands were accused of using drum machines as well the guy that had left Sepultura they form Sarcophago I think they're mm. called they were kind of there was like a rumour that they were using drum machines I kind of think the drum machines and the, the, the samples thing works because it totally it, does, it's yeah. so it's meant to be so dehumanised and cold that okay it gives it a more techie feel a more kind of digital feel but it also contributes to that chilling effect of the music you mm-hmm. know the, like the thing about like Death Crush the first Mayhem record mm-hmm. is it's so analogue and warm and dirty and human having that that synthetic sample it, it kind of 
takes a little bit of the human out of it again and makes it all the more chilling. So yeah. I'm not sure that it's a weakness. So yeah, so. I mean, I th- I think a whole part of this record is that it sounds so clinical and evil and like post fucking dystopian fascist soundtrack. It sounds like a machine playing it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, underneath the universe. Oh well, no, actually, track four, Stellar Master Elite. That stellar master elite sounds like a yeah. fascistic space force. Yeah, this the space themes. It's like it's like whenever anybody says you know like black space metal or whatever, like yeah. it's usually only the themes that yeah. are different. There's very rarely any kind of like. Tangible. So this one fades in. It's got an absolute fucking beast of a riff. It's totally, like a sort yeah. of battle call, and then the end has this anxious riff, but it's still really sort of heavy. It's kind of the most straight up song song in the record. I think. Aye. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the one that you'd sort of you'd, you'd put on a mixtape, yeah, Chris, <laughs> for that special girl. Yeah, uh, or guy. Then underneath the universe, part one is a sort of instrumental. It's pure militaristic, isn't it? Yeah. Really yeah. militaristic chug again. Dun, 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 dun. It sounds like uh, Darth Vader. It's uh, weird because it's not something you'd associate with black metal. Yeah, and then you've got like four minutes of darkness and space that comes in after that sort of ambient. See, I really like that about black metal. I think it's a it's a real strength of the genre in that they do go in, they, they embrace the power of of minimalism yeah. with their ambient passages. I think, yeah, I know a lot of it came from the kind of ghostly haunting Scandinavian setting, the nature thing, and this sounds more like it's a bit more futuristic. But they do understand the dynamic power of slowing somebody down, redefining their kind of parameters of what's going to be loud, and then hitting them again. And it, mm-hmm. they, they, they seem to capture that a lot better than some of the tech air bands. Mm-hmm. For example, bands like Meshuggah, as much as I like Meshuggah, they don't always include enough pacing in that way and I think the the black metal guys seem to have clicked onto that pretty early track 6 slow grinder again Yeah, that's the one that fades out to this sort of organ theme using the rising synth chords that are really Kubrick-esque. Uh, track seven, Interface to God. Just another Good name. sort of, yeah, fucking punishing it's heavy. like a machine gun at the start. It yeah. actually sounds like a machine gun. I 
really sort of jumpy riffs that are really sort of aggressive and theatrical as well. It's like dun, da, 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 it's like quite orchestral. Yeah, oh, they, they change over at one minute thirty-five. Man, it's just totally evil. Aye, yeah, absolutely totally. fucking evil, man. <laughs> Uh, and then Vortex finishes uh, so that would be the final track on the proper original release and it's just like a sort of half-time death procession yeah Um, I mean does does it stray too much from black metal I mean I know it's got the pedigree of black metal but mm. sonically I it depends how much you I guess it would depend how much the listener likes the synth in their black metal mm. that seems like the logical extension of taking that desolate vibe that a lot of Scandinavian black metal was trying to go with but then make it more futuristic yeah so it really depends how much you like sticking to the original themes and the original you know bass drums guitar lineup of it it seems like nobody's gonna have the balls in that scene to question the legitimacy of it with guys like Hellhammer and Snorri involved in it but musically if it was somebody that was nothing I don't know like you can definitely see the ties it has satire from Satyricon doing a lot of the vocals on this record and you can hear Satyricon after this are very influenced by this record like you can really see the ties to it it's definitely I think it is black metal aesthetically as well visually it's very very not black metal it's futuristic isn't it they don't have like weird wonky fonts they've got a very futuristic font it's got very interesting like microscopic beautiful colourful image on the Mm. album cover see I think there's a little hint of that but the one I've picked I think he's used I think he's used the inclusion of other figureheads of the scene to cement its black metal credentials even though musically it strays quite far from it sometimes Mm -hmm. and I do wonder if maybe with Thorns musically had it been some vegans from Washington State doing it would the black metal community have embraced it so wholeheartedly is it relying on its credentials yeah but who cares what the black metal community thinks exactly what uh, matters is is it sonically taking big cues from black metal yes and it does it sound evil as fuck yes is it a really cool fucking record yeah mm-hmm. uh, TSOS is that track that, that I only just heard recently which is like a bonus track And it's fucking amazing. It's really atmospheric, sort of droning. Yeah, it's an ambient song. Ambient it's song, amazing, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. really fucking cool. It's got this, it's got like a it's got like a chugging guitar part that comes in over the ambient soundscape, and it just sounds really fucking grim, really horrible, and closing. And it's just it's nice when you get yeah. a bonus thing that actually feels it feels like it even adds it, to it. It adds mm-hmm. to it, yeah, rather than just something. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it was part of the sessions that worked yeah yeah uh, and then it finishes on existence which is the same name as the first track and it's sort of like it's like a reverse almost of it yeah reverse of it samples or like visits familiar themes from either the first track and stuff like that but like overall it's a really well-rounded straight to the point clinical but entertaining record i think when you have that amount of time that amount of being steeped in a scene mm-hmm. The thing you produce is going to have to be special. Yeah. You know, th- this this guy uh, was about for fucking ages and was 
in amongst it was writing riffs for these people. He had something bubbling up that was going to... Yeah, when but it, then he was always the outsider as well. Yeah. So like, he, literally, he was outside when that thing happened. He was outside in the car, and then he was the outsider allegedly. throughout the entire you know, <laughs> thing. Um, so, yeah, so... So there was a lot of build-up, and there was a lot of, like... There was a lot of expectation on mm-hmm. what he was going to do, but it seems like something. But he's, you know, he's never toured. He's never played live. You know, it's like so many. Of them. Exactly, and you know, this is a black metal record that a lot of people might not have heard. You see him doing it, fucking um, being cute, getting his sheet metal. Are the musicians involved problematic? For sure, they fucking are. Oh my god, so many problems. Um, he went. He went electronic after this record. So he became Thorns Inc. and he's doing electronic stuff instead. So he's clearly. I think for, if if you spent so long in jail and you've maybe had these ideas kind of be in your head for a long time. It's also entirely possible that his music taste is probably was moving Moved on. on but he had to lot, get this but out. He just had to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah, he knew yeah. he had this. And he had the context to make it happen, so obviously he did. It's also, it's literally one of my favourite album artworks. Like, the album cover is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, the font is so cool. Like, everything, yeah. Black metal fonts, man. Uh, How good are they? I know. <laughs> but this one isn't a black metal font. It's, there like, was, really futuristic. Yeah. There's, like, I can't remember the modern. guy's name, but there's one guy who's famously the one that does the... Do you remember his name? I can't remember his name, but I he, mean... He does the black metal fonts for so many yeah. people, and he does it for free. He yeah. just, like, asks you to send you... The, you the send him your band name, it. and he, he draws it, and that's it. Um, that's, that's actually pretty cool but black metal fonts the more illegible the better mm-hmm. some closing remarks from the YouTube community uh, on thorns to support me never read the comments <laughs> super underrated inner circle Norwegian black metal it's a shame thorns isn't more well known because Fenrez even said that Snorra was a pioneer to the black metal sound this is art of pure darkness how black metal should sound like <laughs> without Snorra black metal would sound completely different this is the man who created the guitar sound still used today no one was playing anything like this before him I had the phrase ravishing grimness in my head for some reason <laughs> name, I think Ravishing Grimness is like kind of perfect for this album because it's ravishingly grim anyway I mean I can only imagine what a cesspit the YouTube comments are on a black metal post and maybe it's not that bad maybe the music gets for, all that for system. Thorns it was fine yeah. they were just like oh this sounds really evil I like it's it just, <laughs> you fucking post up a video of Lena Dunham though and it's a nightmare yeah um, alright so okay. my turn Taka and Noreg's Vapen, which uh, you told me means Norway's weapon. Norway's weapon, weapon yeah. He is indeed Norway's weapon, as we uh-huh. said. There's so it's interesting that you chose this guy, Christopher. It, isn't it? <laughs> so I think this guy's an interesting case study and in, in a lot of things we've spoken about. So uh, Taka, or Host, uh, Host is basically a solo uh, musician. He writes this by himself, gets a bunch of contributors in for the stuff, especially this album, has a live band who are really pretty fucking good uh, my friend Rick as I said had mentioned uh, had met Host he was apparently a very very nice guy in, in person um, that said not averse to a bit of controversy uh, but to give a wee bit of backstory he's from Bergen and Bergen was really like the ground zero for black metal mm-hmm. uh, in the late 80s and early 90s where I, Bergen apparently as I think I mentioned in the first episode apparently rains on average 275 days a year and they joke that it just snows the rest of the time he came up at the same time as that first Scandinavian wave or the second wave of black metal uh, Taka was originally called Thule which again if you listen to the first episode kind of relates to all of that 
neo-Vokish mythology and the sort of Aryan land of Thule and Ultima Thule and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he says that in his music he is, quote, looking to awaken national pride and cultural nostalgia. That's a very loaded term. Now, it can be taken quite innocently because mm. he's looking to awaken pride in Norway as a country that produces great music and cultural nostalgia. It could be innocuous. Um whilst also reminding people that hell is here on earth and people can be demons. Um, on the flip of it, Awakening National Pride and Cultural Nostalgia has more than a few associations with some less than admirable <laughs> yeah. uh, moments in human history. Taka's first three albums, he took a hiatus, but his first three albums were good, but fairly standard Black Metal Fair. Uh, there's one in particular that stands out. I can't remember the name of it. It starts with an N as well. A uh, post-hiatus, a fourth album that came out, which was a self-titled album, is a bit better, I think. pretty ferocious uh, if there's any word to sum it up but again still adheres to the kind of black metal formula pretty closely um, Norig's Vapen is for me the Goldilocks period with this this guy, this artist uh, he does something a bit different on it, it was actually this album was nominated for a Spellman Music Award which is quite a, quite a prestigious music award in Norway as the best metal uh, of that year on the album he collaborates with all kinds of superstars of the black metal scene, uh, which, as I said, when Dave was discussing Thorns, I think is maybe it's organic and maybe it's partly to kind of cement its black metal credentials because it does sonically do some stuff that's quite different. Um, Attila Sehar, as I mentioned in the Nexus, uh, was of Mayhem and also did some Vox with Sun. Nocturno Culto is the... or. Nocturnal Kanto is also the other guy from Dark Throne, uh, not Fenris. Uh, Demonaz is the guitarist and one of the founders of the band Immortal, and Ivar Bjornsson is one of the original members of Enslaved. So these are like inner black circle Scandinavian black metal royalty in this sense. Oh, and, and they contribute well. They, they, their, their contributions are notable and distinct, and they, they don't seem tokenistic in the main. Tak is pretty notorious as I mentioned for a few incidents uh, the first was a kind of quite high profile <laughs> event in Germany in the city of Essen where he went on stage with a, a swastika on his chest above an inverted cross The this was early on in their tour and the remainder of the tour was immediately cancelled this is like to date probably the most viable criticism against it however I <sighs> With exceptions, some of his response I'd quite dug, not because I agree with it, but because of its sort of focus and consistency. His main point was, first of all, black metal, he felt, should avoid becoming a housebroken genre like so much other metal. I don't like this about black metal, but I do acknowledge it, that the whole point of it is about being unsettling about being anti-establishment, about being genuinely unsettling, not like pantomime unsettling, like 
so many metal bands like Iron Maiden things like that but, mm-hmm. but about being as we said at length in that first part of this this podcast about actually being threatening about actually being problematic he made the point that Christian blasphemy really doesn't elicit much in terms of shock value anymore he's like it's pretty pedestrian and he went for the most charged symbol he could find he mm-hmm. said there was no political content to it. it he said it was also he felt appropriate in Germany to remind Germany of its greatest shame and that was the phrase he used mm-hmm. he you know he's made comments in other interviews because clearly it's something he's asked about a lot about how he was taking the piss with it but he does cite and I think fairly cites the Sex Pistols and Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees one of my main beefs with the Sex Pistols one of my main beefs with the, the first punk movement was that use of the swastika so liberally mm-hmm. and they did um as well as Sea Island, Johnny Johnny Rotten. There's photos yeah. of him throwing Sea Island. Of course, that was that was purely shock value. Shock value, complete abject countercultural nihilistic puerile shock value. I don't mm-hmm. agree with it. I don't like the use of it. But for the purposes stated, I completely understand it. I don't like it, mm-hmm. and I've been very critical of them for doing that. And I'm critical for this guy for doing that. But I think it's consistent on that level. I think the context is slightly different because black metal is so associated with neo-fascism. Yeah, and yeah. that's the bit that bothers me uh, more so than it would if it was purely decontextualized and it's just a band being shocking. He follows that up by saying our concept was built on provocation he said i do realize that the act was unforgivable but on the other hand i feel that black metal bands should allow themselves to use any negative symbolism for maximum discomfort uh, as i said it doesn't want them to become housebroken my biggest problem with taka and the one that i had to co- to, to sort of come to terms and i'm not necessarily coming to terms with it. i don't like it but i think it's poorly chosen he uh, said that the owner of the club that he, he understood everybody's criticisms except for the owner of the club that cancelled the Essen show who he referred to as an Untermensch and Untermensch was a, a quite a loaded term that was used by the Nazis it's been used by a lot of people because obviously it means like a kind of underling but it, it also was used specifically by the Nazis to refer to Slavs, Jews and Roma as kind of lesser races and I think that doesn't do his argument any favours as regards the use of the swastika for shock value uh, other criticisms that he's faced there was a lot of like what do you call it rhetoric around um, some of his lyrics on the song Orkan on this album the second track lines like To Hell With Muhammad and talking about um, the Muhammadists being inexcusable or something like that um, his reply to that was we do not encourage violence uh, but paraphrasing here but basically apply the same blasphemic standard to Islam as we do Christianity I actually totally am fine with that. I think it's something that is very infuriating and slightly infantilizing in that it is absolutely fine to, you know, to commit acts of blasphemy against Christianity and then when a musician who has consistently blasphemed mm-hmm. against Christianity for fucking decades criticizes another major world religion for as a religion, not criticizing uh, ethnicity or ethnicity, race. but yeah. criticizing the religious belief—that's valid to me. I, I criticize mm-hmm. religion. I have no time for Islam, Christianity, Judaism, any religion in that sense. I mm-hmm. am, I'm an atheist, and I think that part of it's valid. I realize the dynamics slightly different when Muslims are a minority, but if you're criticizing a religion as a religion, that's fair game to me. That bit doesn't bother me as much. But his 2018 US tour was cancelled because Antifa 
seized upon his comments as well as his history with the the Essen incident and promised violent reprisals if Taka were allowed to perform. So that tour got pulled and obviously he wasn't chuffed about that. But to be honest, you made your bed, you'll lie in it. If you want to be a provocateur, you're going to have to fucking deal with the consequences. Yeah, and and, uh, nuanced discussion might not be at the forefront of everybody's minds. Yeah, I mean, you can't very well go and criticise Antifa for being making sweeping statements when you're making sweeping statements for a a living. Yeah. Um, That said, it's a fucking really good album and trying to balance out and qualify those considerations, which I'm not completely at ease with, but I'm comfortable enough saying how good I think the record is on the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, the fir- I mean, I'm going to completely fudge the titles here, but the first track in it, Fra... I've got them in English. Uh, so have I, yeah. Fra yeah. Vadested till Vandesmed, from Ford to Soros Smith, whatever that means. This is an album that really brings to mind some of my favourite bits of Converge and that kind of rockier approach to extreme, well, extreme hardcore in Converge sense, but extreme black metal in this sense. Um, it's not the most extreme black metal album, but it reigns it in quite a bit and I think there's a really lovely balance. Um, this is the first track and it's the first, the, there's a riff around about the minute 50 mark that's just huge and it's the first yeah, point got that, as well. that really summons yeah. Converge to me. Off the, the track starts with blast beats and straightens out into hardcore fairly early. It's actually got a 3 3 signature, it's got a brilliant bass line, um, really melodic black metal with t- t- like hints of extreme hardcore. The ending in this track is great, it's got a melatron and a bit of strings, and it's just really huge and quite emotive. second track Orkan which uh, translates as Hurricane uh, is a bit more traditionally black metal at the start it kind of breaks down into a melodic middle section that's a bit more typically hardcore with double kick This is the track that caused the controversy, as I say, with the anti-Islamic lyrics, but there were an equal, if not greater, amount of anti-Christian lyrics in it. Um, And it ends with a really odd, but I'd say kind of highly effective riff. I can't really describe it but it's it's definitely not something I expected to get in the black metal genre I think that's something this album does really well is it's quite crufty that riff yeah mm-hmm. it is it, it incorporates a lot of quite crusty and extreme hardcore influences I think yeah I think uh, track 3 Norbundet Norbundet is a fucking monster of a song yeah North, North and Bund. it's really 
it's sort of crusty. It's got that punky feel to it. It's kind of what I want Satyricon to sound like. Or Feller Attack if they went blast beat here. It's weird. Look, when I was talking about this to Luigi, my flatmate, my black metal flatmate, he said, oh, a, this reminds me a little bit of Satyricon, mm-hmm. but again I agree with you Satyricon don't go far enough in that direction for me yeah like Satyricon when they came out in the late 2000s with uh, Volcano and oh, the other one that came after that they like stripped a lot back and they were going for the the riff and the you know want to beat and stuff like that and it was interesting but there just wasn't enough complexity to it yeah and this strips a lot back but maintains a really Interesting. It's a weird timing, and yeah. I think that gives it an edge. Um, it reminds me again of stuff on Jane Doe, bits of Homewrecker, bits of Broken Vow, that kind of like chopping it down into something with mm-hmm. get your teeth into for a little while. Before it spreads back out into a more typically black metal chord structure, you know, it's it goes between those more complex chords and then these tighter kind of uh, drop D tune things. Uh, this was like a promo single, and it's a pretty cool video as well. Uh, some really huge riffery kind of later on in it as well, and there's a bit of a gallop that comes in after the halfway point. Nordbund, it's a really good way to approach this album. If you don't feel like listening to the whole thing, just jump in at that. Um, it's their most high-profile thing. It'll be the first thing that comes up if you look them up, I think. Yeah, uh, a really good year for for just composition, I think. Better than a lot of other black metal musicians, I'd say. I, th- I just think there's there's something about this point in their career where they really matured, uh, or he really matured, maybe with the input of the other musicians. And I like the fact that it's a live project as well, because this sounds this album sounds like a live band in terms of the structures of the songs mm. a lot of black metal sounds very conceptual yeah. and very much about the production and the atmosphere this sounds a bit like the death crush stuff by mayhem a bit like some of the other bands that we've mentioned along the way like maybe like um dark throne like more played they mm. sound like a band that plays and they've got bits in the songs that are designed to work live you know and i think this has bits that must really everything sounds di though everything sounds yeah DI'd. but uh, again there's a lot about the production of this it's actually I think he's listened to some of the kind of God City recording stuff I think there's there's elements of that like the DI mixed with the amp it gives it a bit of I don't really know how to how to put it into words it's just that there's a quality to that that I really like um, there's a clarity and a, as well as a sort of slightly disturbing edge and mm-hmm. it, like there's an EQ quality that comes across with DI things that you just can't really get uh, in a lot of other cases um, the fourth track uh, Do Villa Villa Westland, the Wild Wild West, is straight up nasty start. One of the best riffs on the album, pretty early on in yeah. this. Uh, I think they really made a great decision with the guitar and bass tones in this track there's almost a noise rock bass guitar tone in this black metal is not famous for its bass coming through sometimes you don't even have it this track the bass guitar is tremendous they have different guest guitarists in this for like what they call solo one and solo two the first solo is almost like stonerish in its bluesiness it's quite an 
odd in inclusion, but it works well in the context. Demonaz does the guest vocals in this and does them well because they just freak the com- freak the fuck out completely. Uh, and there's a really huge riff towards the middle of this song as well. I thought it was less black metal and more traditional metal in this song. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of structure. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Yeah, I think the stoner bit and the the, the fact that there's solos in it, uh, it's but it is pretty straight. And maybe that's mm-hmm. what I mean by just straight. It's just kind of down the line. There's more of a just a direct metal edge to it. Yeah, um, Mir. Track five, which is Bog, has a guy called Skag mm-hmm. on the vocals. I assume he's from Dundee, where all the best Skag comes from. Mm-hmm. This is really old school and furious, I felt. It's got a really, really agonised feel to it. Uh, Skag, whatever he's doing, the vocals are disgusting in this song. Like, really, really unpleasant. I thought it was quite power metal musically, especially when it gets to the banjo part. Uh, I mean, yeah, you've, uh-huh. you've ruined my big reveal. It's got uh-huh. a fucking hillbilly banjo bit in it. <laughs> and I, I'd like, literally thought, uh, you know you know that thing when you're listening to something but you're in a cafe or something and you're like, oh, there's music on in this room that I'm hearing that's interfering with what I'm listening to. And I took my headphones off and the banjo disappeared. I was like, well, that's on this record. <laughs> I couldn't believe that they'd put a banjo on this, this album. Yeah. As to whether it works, I don't know that it works. It doesn't, it's not terrible. And by the time the, the end of the song comes along, like you said, it gets totally triumphant and power mm-hmm. metal And the banjo fits in terms of melody. I just think you can't get it out of your head. You can't get past the fact that it's a fucking banjo. You just are like, you're never able to fully immerse yourself in the song again because you're like, this song's got a banjo in it. What were they doing? I didn't think drugs were a big part of this scene, but... <laughs> There you go, I don't know. Uh, the sixth track, Helvetis Macht, Helvet, obviously being Euronymous's record store named after Hell, but Helvetis Macht is Power from Hell, which is a good name for your band, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um... Has uh, has some really big balls early on. There's a kind of quite stonery riff. About three minute mark, it develops some kind of electronics in it and gets a kind of. It's got an old school black metal heart later on in the song, but with this electronica kind of woven through. And then about two minutes after that, there is there is just this big beasting victory riff that, that that goes into this big outro that kind of slowly fades away. That 
riff is class it's, I was humming that riff to myself multiple times after listening to this record it's good separation of parts on the song again he's really good at that he's really good at separating the each song any sections which stand on their own it's very lean it's only mm. a seven track album mm. you know um, I mean the seventh track Devil Altid Klaga Okita they will always complain and moan I believe is how that translates really metal a great bit of blast beat in it as oh, yeah. well mm. fucking killer bit of blast beat in this song And then this massive sad outro <laughs> production wise I mean this is a self-produced album the kick drum is so loud that it creates like a tremolo effect on the guitar because the compressor's mm-hmm. kicking in so much it's cool I, don't, I assume he meant it because it's effective albeit unconventional I, I think it's a great record I do have caveats given his reputation having read his justifications for that I don't think they entirely wash but it's a very good album and I think we've had to put a lot of our moralising to the side to even come up with any suggestions yeah. for this so yeah definitely well, I stand by yeah, it yeah interestingly but it's interesting that we've both gone for like you know true original black metal there's a lot of like progressive modern black metal now that is so far removed from Norway and everything that it's definitely you know the politics oh, aren't yeah. an issue squeaky clean yeah. so so that's fine speaking of which <laughs> Mark well I've listened to quite a lot of stuff um, there were a few records which I did think it was good. I was actually thinking about doing Battles in the North by, by Immortal. And and is that, well, I mean, it is unsung in the big scheme of things, I suppose, but on the... Yeah, on the, probably. Yeah. And, you know, there was the Don Raid record, uh, The Unlawful Assembly, which was really good. It only came out two years ago, though. But there was a couple of records in contention that I was going to go for. But ultimately, the reason I went for Sunbeat about Death Heaven is because this came in 2013, right? And that was when I really started to get into, like, heavy music and I just started getting converged at the same time. And this re- that record, like the Converse record I really get into is Axe to Fall. So that record and this record kind of led me more towards stuff like Trap Them and All Pigs Must Die and, you know, a lot more crusty stuff. And that's when I went to go back and explore my black, more black metal, like Carpeting Forest and all that, which is also a really good record, which I might have picked. I, somehow I thought that um, that record was less black metal than this if that makes sense the Carpathian Forest yeah. one kind of rocks yeah, yeah I mean, it's really the, good it's a fucking great yeah. record yeah. but I think tonally the Carpathian Forest one's much much closer to black metal yeah. instrumentally in terms of playing style this one's closer mm-hmm. but this is way too positive yeah well this is uh, this is what I was going to say so this is the second uh, Death Heaven record their kind of style of black metal I guess it's got a lot to, it's indebted quite a lot to shoegaze so hence black gaze it's also in a major key which really gets the go of a lot of fucking Man, this a, is, a lot of black metal purists yeah, because to me, it's in a major key to me this is just a speed picked version of Explosions in the Sky it, it does my head in I, I fucking love <laughs> this album um, and I think it's as like I said I listened to it right after the attack record earlier on and they're not million miles apart like really like sonically really not that far away totally they are Um they sound like the same kind of music though getting played it's like it's like fucking it's like when you get metal bands who play in major keys and metal bands that don't do you know what I mean they're still considered metal bands so then yeah but the major key ones are rubbish that's not always true <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I, I I get that it's it's taken some element of black metal but I, I, I think it 
Ah, fuck. I, I saw these guys live. I saw them on this tour. And everything about the performance just reeked of in, inauthenticity. It, the, the, the mannerisms on stage, the dress, the production of it, the... It just, it just, it was just so hollow, and I, I just got nothing out of it whatsoever. I, I get it's musically played and it's brilliantly recorded, and there are good, there are good moments on it, really good moments on it. But the 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 reason that I like super triumphant moments on Taka or on anything really is that they are balanced. You know, sweet and sour. You know, like uh, it, it, you have that. And this just doesn't do that. It's like, this is just fucking easy listening black metal. Did you listen for, to, New Bermuda, to New Bermuda, the one after this? I've, is this the one that's like fucking Shoegaze Oasis? No, this is it's actually a lot more thrashy in places. Like, it's a lot darker. The most recent stuff I've heard by these yeah, guys. Yeah, that's ordinary human. Uh, what's that? Corrupt ordinary yeah, human. Corrupt, yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, no. That's ordinary human corruption. I think it's I've, he, I've heard yeah. that one, and I was just yeah, totally that's, bemused. That's by going that. in a different direction entirely. Yeah. Um, but new, it's really weird that, that new comes Bermuda after. Is really new crunchy, Bermuda. really yeah. fucking dark and heavy. Very, very. Th- it's like as and you can tell that they were a band new. that were like, oh, let's just prove ourselves that we are a properly good heavy band mm-hmm. because we've right. got a lot of people that aren't. So the criticism stung. Possibly, well, but I don't no, know. I, I mean, think this, they were this, just this, like, oh, oh, oh. Somebody that was clearly claimed by Metal Press and Pitchfork. Yeah, alike, but you know, there's, so. there, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were happy about that and it definitely helped with the income, but in terms of like credibility, I don't know that it massively helped. Well, it's on Death Watch, I think, if you want credibility and a kind of, are you moving in kind of hardcore ish scenes? I mean, you've already got the it. The entire, Death yeah, right. like they released uh, Rose to Judah before, which was like a fairly credible, uh, you know, they, they didn't get any stick really off that. They came out and they deliberately released this album called Sunbather the first track was called Dreamhouse the album is pink you know the album looks like one of your jumpers exactly Mm -hmm. it's so anti-black metal in all ways I like that part of it though so they're not they like they're not going to be stung by criticism about not being black metal because the entire point of the record was like a big fuck you to true cult black metal yeah no I, 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 I get that I just think yeah, that's that's all good on paper, mm-hmm. but then in terms of actual writing, it actually fell short because it lacked the diversity of mood. It lacked mm, any uh, I depth. Completely disagree just with don't, you. Don't I think they, they got. They, <laughs> I, I, I I admire their flying in the face of convention with the cover. I they love the cover of somebody that it's really it it makes you want to listen to it when you see it. You're like, mm. that's fucking great. I get that. I love the mystique around this really heavy band calling their songs these deceptively mild things. What would have been even more subversive then is to write something that had a greater array of mood I think it's got a vast array of mood it's not all euphoric it's not all happy but even when it's not euphoric it's just unremarkable it's not and I I saw them live uh, on this tour as well and I I thought they were fucking amazing Mm. so anyway before we get into the record a bit of background on the band it's ostensibly just Josh Clark and Kerry McCall who are the two guys who kind of wrote the first record and this record they actually bonded over a love of bands like Burzum and Inamoro. So like they're coming they, they came at this music or they came at Death Heaven from like true black metal stock. Um and that was the whole point of the project with Rose to Judah at the start and the split EP to be you brought them up before, Dave, uh, Boston Age. So they've kinda of got that kind they've always had that kind of feel, but then obviously there is a total subversion with this record and 
I wasn't re- I wasn't really expecting to hear what I heard when I first heard it. Um, I was expecting a proper black metal record because that's what I, that's what I'd read in some press, and it totally was not. I was like, this is definitely not black metal. This is definitely like shoegazy black metal, which is what I loved about it the most. As you said, David starts off with Dreamhouse. Which is it's like big atmospheric, you know, black metal. But it's, it's just got a, it's a that major opening key. chord. Yeah, is one that you just want to bathe in. No, yeah, <laughs> like literally, it's like sunbathing. It's just like a fucking. I'd, I'd like really us, lovely noise. I'd like us to use a different phrase than black metal when we talk about this album. Though it just doesn't. Well, see it's it. not going to fucking happen. So shut up. <laughs> we, just call it, we, we call it post black metal or like um, ra- rainbow metal. I don't, I don't care when he says fuck y'all um, The drummer on this record is better than most black metal drummers The drummer, the drums on this record are fucking amazing Unbelievable There's a massive, really good hardcore bit at 2 minutes 30 in Dreamhouse Which Like that sort of breakdown That's yeah. like When you realise Oh this band are doing Something interesting mm. They're really good At building up and releasing As yeah. well They do that a lot Throughout the record Both in the heavier bits And in the lighter bits They the, the, the release at Four minute mark Which is really really good Then it builds back up again Quite slowly Towards the end of the song It's just a, such a smashing tune It's a great way To open a record Which looks like that The cover looks like that And it's called Dreamhouse You're like fuck This is It's like a, it's, it's like black metal It's not having a nightmare Like having a, having a nice dream Yeah <laughs> Rainbow metal But it's Kind of colour me metal. <laughs> it's got the brutal sort of venom and like the black metal has. What? It, like, yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the passes of guitars, especially in the hardcore bits, are fucking properly ferocious, man. Just because it's not a major key does not mean it can't be ferocious. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just, oh, God. Carry on, Mark. <laughs> it can still be heavy and being, and, 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 and being a major key and be vicious. It can be loud mm-hmm. and being a major key. I don't think I don't, I don't agree with that <laughs> And then it goes on And until it's basically Irresistible And that's why That's like I said before That's why I really like This record Because it, it's really good At playing with dynamics It's really good At bringing in that you know, the big triumphant moments and then just letting things go and still keeping the melodies really interesting, like guitar-wise. There's not a lot of mm-hmm. vocals on this record. You know what I mean? Which I find yeah. quite fascinating given the vocals is one of the key members of the band. There's not a lot of vocals on this album at all. Um, and Irresistible kind of makes... It kind of, it kind of feels we have been enveloped by it almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then obviously it gives way to Sunbather, which has just got an immense opening riff. That's a decent track. It's a really good song. Again, it's another song that sort of builds up when it starts to break down again, like 1 minute 40. And then it goes down a key at 4 minutes 50. 
And there's a then there's a bit after that which is like pure blast beat proper intense black metal and it, it when it shifts kind of kind of like a minor key almost. Well. But it goes down, kind of moves out of major anyway, it's kind of a bit more diminished, I guess. And then you've got that mellow part afterwards, which is kind of slowly repeating. And then just the end, it's like a giant shoegazy wash of guitars. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just takes, this song takes you on a journey. I mean, Dreamhouse is a great song, but this song has got a lot more dynamics. It's got a lot more going on in it. I think. I think it's like the, an interesting thing that um, somebody said when this album just first came out is that you know, like, no single part of this album is repeated. Yeah. Like, there's no verses, there's no choruses, there's no thematic riffs that they go back to. It's like an hour long, and it's an hour long of ideas and things following things and following things and it's a story and mm-hmm. it's really interesting yeah uh, and there it, was there was I can't remember the name of the era but there was an era in the kind of second wave of black metal where that became quite in vogue where mm. people like no phrases were repeated it, yeah like it was constantly shifting there was a couple of bands in particular I'm sorry the names escaped me so I mean I'm sure these guys are aware of those bands I get it that is interesting absolutely but still somebody there <laughs> yeah, it's still a great record. <laughs> and then you have uh, "Please Believe," which has got a vocal. Well, the vocals on that are by uh, Stefan Pott. Please remember, yeah, of yeah of Alcest. I was reading a passage from Candera's "The Unbearable Likeness of Being." Oh, uh, that totally fits this I'll say it's a band uh, You've def- you described it as What was it? Twin Atlantic Black Metal Oh no I did I, I saw them in Oren Moore And like I remember hearing them On MySpace back in the day And found some of their Atmospheric black metal yeah. Really interested it Started off like that yeah. yeah And then I went to see them About I don't know Six or seven years ago And it was so polished And it was not heavy at all. Their first EPs are great black fucking metal records. Rotten. It was like it was really bad. It was so boring. Was that and like it was full of heavy metal guys, like full of black metal fans? And I was like, why did any of you like this? Was that before or after this album? The first oh, it was before. before this, it was maybe yeah. like 2011. Yeah, yeah, the first EP I think was 2011, and it was a, it's a really good atmospheric black metal record. Um, and they kind of they have went into a. They kind of went in the same direction as Death Heaven, almost, but they're a bit more melodic, a lot more melodic vocals as well. Yeah, see, I do wonder how many bands have been influenced to sort of go in this direction because they saw the com- the commercial and, or at least industry warmth that Death Heaven and, to some extent, Liturgy met with. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, fancy a bit of that. Yeah, I guess we'll never really know. I still think we'll ever do an LCS record in this, in this podcast, so... Um, and then we've got Vertigo, which really does feel like Vertigo, the way it kind of shifts and kind of creeps, starts really slower and quite creeping. Mm-hmm. 
lovely Ebo guitar sound in the background, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And then it's a pretty melancholy, it's probably the most melancholy track on the record, even though Sun Waiter's got that shift in about four minutes where it kind of goes down a little bit. Um, this is actually like quite sad, this song. It's, got, it's, got, it's only some guitar solo on as well. Yeah. It's got that really mad Considering they've got solo. a lot more guitar solos on uh, New Bermuda. Yeah, it's a lot more metal, that record, yeah. for sure. Does it, does it make you want to die? Yeah. It's not black metal. <laughs> it's, it's not true cult. But, the, I mean, Vertical's got it's a lot a very, more. It's a melancholy record. It's an exceptionally yeah. melancholy record. It makes me feel melancholy, but not for the reasons they intended. I mean, this song's got a proper. This, this record's got. This song's got. It's like a proper journey. So many riffs, so much sadness, so much black metal on it as well. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of black metal vibe on it. It's got the most black metal vibe in the song than any other song. Just because there's so many different parts to the song. <laughs> yeah. I really want that, that little sample of you saying, so many riffs, so much sadness. Just as my message to it anytime <laughs> you contact me. <laughs> so many riffs, so much sadness. So many riffs, so much sadness. <laughs> um, and then it's got the. And all the windows. Which is always freaks me out, man. It's got the really creepy guitar part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sample is actually is actually uh, Kerry McCoy like doing a drug deal because I had an opioid addiction at the time. And, like that is actually like real. So edgy, it's fucking weird, man. Why would you even put that on there? How oh, long is this album anyway? This One hour exactly. Woofed. It fucking feels like it too. <sighs> Yeah, like a nice one hour bath <laughs> <laughs> The water's cold by the end of it There's no bubbles all. You're fucking all wrinkled up Do you not put extra hot water in your bath? Yeah, like, I don't want to be in here But I don't want to get out of here <laughs> And this song's also got the, the bit with the Christian preacher on it mm. Which and this is a quote from uh, the singer uh, George Clark um, Thematically it's supposed to be about this guy Talking about the evils of all hell Intermixed with one's own personal hell And the actual realities of addiction and self-worth Not the fire and blimstone so yeah Isn't there something problematic about this band as well? Yeah so They had a guitar player Playing live with them at the time Before this record came out um, What's his name? Nick something And he made some transphobic comments About the band Gloss um, Who have subsequently split up And then Kenny McCoy is problematic as well Dave I believe That band Gloss were terrible uh, I was not a fan Yeah oh, Fucking terrible I'm, Pretty sure uh, Kerry McCoy said some slightly homophobic things on Twitter about ten years ago. Um, <laughs> what, he didn't murder what, anybody. What a modern fucking! <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said something slightly homophobic on Twitter ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. fucking I can't, hell! I can't remember all right. what the details are. After the first but, episode I mean, we just recorded, not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He did not brutally murder anybody in a park. So <laughs> did he make jewelry out of the skull parts of his bandmate? Yeah, no. exactly. But it's it's kind of weird. It's a, a bit of a digression, but it's weird how like the lines have shifted, isn't it? Like, like completely. It's like, oh yeah, so they had like one homophobic member, which means you can never listen to them ever again. Where else we sit and listen to fucking thorns? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. As a yeah, as a, promo- as, a as a promoter dealing with bands that are coming over and cancelling tours, and you actually work out and you're like, I don't know why you've cancelled your tour. I, I apparently you're problematic, but I literally have no idea what has gone on. You've released a statement that's like ten paragraphs long, and I have no idea what you've done. And then we're talking about bands that have like literally murdered people. <laughs> uh, 
and giving them a pass. But yeah, um, there's even a swastika in this record. There isn't a swastika. There's no swastika. There's no fucking know, flashes. No. There must be one hidden yeah, somewhere. Maybe there's a pink swastika mixed in the front. <laughs> Maybe we'll never know. Yeah, if you unfocus your eyes, it's like what are those fucking magic <laughs> yeah, eye pictures? Yeah. yeah, I mean it is a square, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> and then it ends with the peak entry, um, which is properly cathartic. Really, yeah, it's really I fucking love that track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The vocals don't come in really again until the eight minute mark, which mm. is madness. The song is just like it's like a bath. It's got like a proper <laughs> post rock feel. Um, it's just so lovely and lifting. It's a really weak, really good way to end the record. It feels like getting a load off, which yeah. actually chimes quite well with the whole, I guess, the theme of Windows about the whole hell thing. Overcome your demons, I guess, is the end. I I love the fact that Chris has spent four fucking hours talking about how black metal can't be extracted from its original source or whatever but like this how can we be meta in criticizing it and then finally this album comes across and it is critical and it uses black metal tropes but in a interesting meta way and it's the one that Chris fucking hates yeah no, but- I just love the way he's also thrown a choice completely out the pram there that talks about nothing <laughs> that he's getting interested in he just, fuck, just doesn't give a fuck anymore no no you know you know what it is it's, it's like I recognise how problematic milk and dairy is right but oat milk is you know it's the less problematic derivation of it but mm-hmm. it's shite and and fuck off <laughs> Oat milk is better than milk Anything like o- An oat milk flat white it, Is better than it alle- A flat white It alleviates right. my conscience Somewhat oh, and Who I, speaks a true deaf Heaven fan there A pro oat milk flat white <laughs> Exactly I did just say that But uh, th- That's just you uh, Finding an excuse To not Give up dairy Because you're Fucking lazy uh, Oat milk's actually Really good <laughs> um, anyway, I won't get on a pro veganism chat because uh, that's very unblack metal. <laughs> yes, right. Oh my god! Most uh, I just want to say, I, like, I fu- I fucking love Sunbather. For some reason, I like I, this album thematically and aesthetically reminds me of White Pony. I think they're like two partner albums in that they're, they're very. That does not sit well in this side of the room. Mm. Yeah, I can tell. So that's why I'm saying this. It. This is I, to me like the album. I we fucking know, right? Just go. Yeah, a, what we need to do. The, yeah, it's just it's a record rock, that right? we, uh, <laughs> I go back to a lot. Whatever it's the so fucking whatever good. the explosion in the sky album was after the cold, the Earth is a cold, dead place. Whatever it is, yeah, whatever it's the so one much that, better than that. It takes <laughs> takes so much more from so many more places than explosions in the sky do. I mean, I, I, it's I, I think a really it's, interesting. Really, I, I think it's okay. I think it's better than liturgy, but I think it's really overstated how, uh, how good. Okay, it. if let's, but let's, let's be honest, say, Mark is going to win the vote because people are not going to listen this far. <laughs> people are going to be like, "Oh, like somebody there," and they're going to vote for it. So it doesn't matter what we and I fine. vote I'm happy for. Somebody, somebody there being it's in the discography, it. it's great, and it's the least problematic of them all. <laughs> uh, if I'm going to vote for Thorns, I think it's a better album than your album. And in terms of your album, Mark was Metacritic number one record for 2013. <laughs> Not underrated. Uh, in no way yeah. is it under is it unsung. Uh, Thorns is legit black metal. <laughs> somehow also underrated and underseen. Uh, obviously problematic. Blah blah blah. But it's really fucking good black metal record. Chris, yours is good. 
sold four out of five black metal record. It's nothing special. Oh fucking <laughs> ram it. Mine is fucking Spellman winner or yeah nominee whatever. Cool. Well, Great. black it, like Sunbathers won it. It's a, the whole thing is a farce. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think so. I think if people have gotten this far, which remains to be seen, frankly, at this point, given how fucking long both these episodes have been, but I would urge you to listen to all three of these records because I enjoyed, I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed mine obviously as well, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed both your records. I enjoyed listening to them. I will go back and listen to them again. Yeah. If I was going to be voting, I would have a really hard time voting between the three of them. Yeah, I think it's three interesting records. Yeah, that's just me. I think it's a lot of fucking work into this episode, and it was a huge subject, so I don't mind it being a wee bit. Up here, we did our best. We did it, guys. We yeah. fucking did it. did it. Yeah, and uh, I, feel, I do feel physically and mentally exhausted. Though <laughs> we've actually been recording for four and a half hours. So okay, thanks, well, guys. Go and vote on our Facebook page. Can we have next week off? Yeah, <laughs> next week we're going to do something very different. We are going to do atrocity exhibition by Danny Brown. Mm-hmm. Mark and I are both very excited very about excited. that. Well, that Chris is very confused by that. No, but <laughs> as long as it gets the the kind of non-white contingent back on side, because <laughs> we've done our damnedest to alienate everybody except straight white males. Yeah. Yep. But. Uh, it's been interesting Thanks for your patience folks Cheers, Please guys. please do listen to some of the stuff we said Even if you despise it on an ethical basis Yeah Because somebody there is definitely morally acceptable But you should never reward mediocrity There's nothing medium about it <laughs> You're right Anyway I could go Cheers guys And have a nice bath <laughs> <laughs>